I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 567 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I got a very special guest for you guys today. Dallas Jenkins joins me on First Class Fatherhood. Dallas is the creator, writer, and director of The Chosen. The Chosen is the first multi-season series about the life of Christ, and it is the most successful media crowdfund of all time. If you have not seen The Chosen, I encourage you to get over there and check it out. You can stream both seasons for free. They have The Chosen Christmas Special now playing in theaters. And Dallas didn't fall very far from the tree. His father, Jerry Jenkins, is the author of the Left Behind series, which is one of the most highest-selling book series of all time, selling more than 60 million copies. Dallas began directing feature-length films back in 2006. In 2010, he directed What If, which starred Kevin Sorbo, Christy Swanson, and John Ratzenberger. But right now, Dallas's sole focus is on The Chosen, which is the exploration of the life of Jesus Christ through the perspective of those that interacted with him. I'm honored to have him on the podcast with me today. Dallas Jenkins will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Dallas Jenkins was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch the conversation between the creator of The Chosen and myself, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. And if you guys enjoyed today's interview with Dallas Jenkins, you may want to go back and check out some of the interviews I've done with dads like David A.R. White, the creator of God's Not Dead, Dean Kane, Antonio Sabato Jr., and many other dads in the archives that I think you'll enjoy. Keep it locked in here for the rest of the week. Wednesday, Backstreet's back on First Class Fatherhood. Backstreet Boy Nick Carter joins me for a second interview on the podcast. And then Friday, we're going to close out the week with J.R. Martinez, an Army veteran who was severely wounded in combat, sustained burns over more than 30% of his body. Uh, He is currently an actor, and he was the winner on Dancing with the Stars. All right, if you're enjoying the podcast, please hit me with a rating and review. Always goes a long way to help me out. Be sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the upcoming guest announcements. And as always, guys, please help me spread the word about the podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with Dallas Jenkins. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, my pillow has got so much more to offer than just the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. But don't just take my word for it. Here's my wife to tell you her favorite product from MyPillow. Honey, what is it? Well, I love all the MyPillow products, from the robe to the towels. But my absolute favorite, hands-down product, is the MyPillow mattress topper on our king-size bed. I have the best sleep since owning that topper. It's like sleeping at a spa resort, and I can't wait to sleep on it tonight. And I look forward to seeing you there tonight. And let me tell you something right now, guys. Happy wife, happy life. And this mattress topper has been a game-changer for me. That's a guarantee. And speaking of guarantees... All my pillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. So what are you waiting for? First Class Fatherhood listeners can now save up to 66% off. That's right, up to 66% off your order using my promo code FATHERHOOD. Visit MyPillow.com and use the promo code FATHERHOOD to save up to 66% off or use the 800 number. That's 1-800-875-0219, 1-800-875-0219, and your savings will be applied instantly. Visit MyPillow.com, use the promo code FATHERHOOD, and save up to 66% off your order at MyPillow. Pillow. 
Joining me now, First Class Father, Dallas Jenkins. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your show. All right, let's start it just like this here. How many kids do you have? How old are they? <laughs> 20, 18, 16, and 14. Uh, I have a, a three biological kids. My fourth is adopted. Uh, two boys, two girls. Wow, very cool. What kind of sports or activities were they all into growing up? Well, here's what's funny. My, my oldest son, um, I, when he was born, I thought we were, we, we've created an athlete of all athletes because I was an athlete growing up uh, all the way through college. My wife was a gymnast for 12 years. I thought we're going to have the best of all worlds, her flexibility and power and, and quickness and my size and strength and all this. And he had zero interest in sports from day one. There was nothing I could do to convince him. I'd give him a basketball hoop and he'd put his little animals on the, on the hoop and play with them. Uh, he was always just interested in, in movie making and whatnot, which is great because that's what I do. Then my daughter is a superstar athlete, big volleyball player. She's now in college doing that. Uh, and then my next daughter, again, no interest in sports. Uh, she's a dancer. She's a competitive dancer, which is great. And then I adopted a son from Thailand of all places. And he's obsessed with sports. So he's doing, he does them all football, basketball, soccer, the whole nine yards. I had to go to Thailand to get a boy <laughs> who loves sports. So, uh, <laughs> but, but, it, but it's been great uh, to, for, for them all to have various interests, but yeah, only two, two of my four are, are big sports fans. Very cool. Dallas, if you could, just for my listeners here, just take a, a minute here for a simple capsule form. Hit us with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah. So um, my dad is Jerry Jenkins. He's the author of the left behind books, which uh, came out literally, literally about 25 years ago, ended up selling over 60 million copies, one of the biggest book series in the history of humans. And uh, I inherited from him my love of storytelling. And uh, even though I was an athlete growing up and planned to be a sports broadcaster, when I was in high school, I saw the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Jack Nicholson, and that changed the whole trajectory of my life. I immediately wanted to do that for a living, make movies, make shows. And uh, so right now, as I talk to you today, uh, I'm the creator of The Chosen, which is the first ever multi-season show about the life of Christ. Uh, there's been movies, there's been miniseries, but there's never been a multi-season show about Christ. The first two seasons are out now. And uh, right now, and here in December, I don't know when this will air, but in December, uh, our brand new episode and our Christmas special, uh, The Chosen Christmas special, is in theaters for 10 days and then will be available uh, free everywhere else. Um, but yeah, The Chosen is, is essentially my... Uh, what, what I do right now, besides the most important thing, which is being a husband and father. Yeah, very well said. Yeah. And The Chosen has been such a success. I'm going to hit on that more in just a second here. But take me back, if you could, Dallas, to the beginning of your fatherhood journey then. About how old were you when you first became a dad? And how did that experience change your perspective on life? I was 25 years old. I got married when I was 22. So about two and a half years into our marriage is when my wife got pregnant. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget here's what's funny. And I, I don't know if I feel like there's a lot of other dads that can relate to this, but you know how, when the, the child is born, um, the, the, the nine months previous, it, it's, it's the wife who's had the majority of the, the feels, you know, the, the connection with the baby, the, the husband feels the baby's kick and stuff. And it's kind of cool, but it's not until the baby's born and that where you have that first moment of, Oh goodness. Okay. My life's about to change. And then even at that point, there's like six or seven months where, there's not a whole lot you can contribute other than giving your wife a, a sleep break, um, you know, you, you, and, and occasionally feeding with a bottle. But it's, it's when, the, when the child, and I experienced this when, when my son got to be about nine or 10 months old, started talking for the first time 
and then eventually started walking where I felt like my contribution was, was, was more realized. And that's when I really realized like, okay, I have a job to not only support my wife and help my wife, you know, with, with, you know, sleep and all this kind of stuff. But now I actually have things to do and I have responsibilities that I think only I can provide. And that's what why men and women are different is they each provide these different things. And so it was, it was around the month, the 10 month mark when my son started talking and, and then started walking where I thought, all right, my role in life is to help him be strong, help him be, help him to grow both literally and physically. And that's going to be the responsibility of my life forever. You know, even when my son is an, becomes an adult, my son's 20 now, he's in college, I still feel this obligation to take the, the, the extra 25 years of experience that I have in my life and hopefully help guide him uh, so that when he gets to my age, he's learned maybe some lessons that I learned before that, that hopefully he doesn't have to learn them in the same way that I do. So that was when I think I realized like I'm not my own. I I have uh, my mistakes are going to be his unless I get this right. Yeah, really good stuff, Dallas. And, and you know, a lot of dads sometimes get discouraged early on because they don't feel that automatic connection of like I'm right. a dad. And a lot of them attest to that. And I, I you know, I liken it a lot of times because I've had a lot of uh, dads on here who have won the Super Bowl, uh, play in the NFL, and they they say similarly like when they win the Super Bowl and the the, the microphone is shoved in their face, say, "Hey, you're a Super Bowl champion. How does it feel?" And they say, "Well, it hasn't really hit me yet." And it's like yeah. it's a similar circumstance for dads when they first the baby is born. They're like, "Well, how does it feel to be a dad?" Sometimes it doesn't hit right away, and sometimes that can be a little discouraging uh, to dads. And and one of the reasons why I love what you do, Dallas, is because I, I talk on my show all the time about the fatherless crisis that we have going on. The nuclear families in our country have been just uh, just broken down and destroyed so much. And I, I really believe that if we could strengthen our nuclear family units and bring God back into our society, that so many, 90% of the issues that we're having in our country would start to dissolve quickly. What's your take? I think you might be conservative on the 90%. Um, I have, I've said this multiple times on social media. I've said it when I speak. Um, the number one biggest factor, and there isn't a close second, the number one biggest factor in societal ills, just list the top 10, whether it's prison uh, or education or divorce or drug addiction or uh, sexual assault, uh, racial I- issues, all of that. The by far the number one factor and by far the most common denominator is fatherlessness. And uh, that does not at all in any way, and you would be the first to say this, I'm sure, diminish the vital, incomprehensibly important role of mothers. But when, they're, when a child is born out of wedlock or when the father is, when, when, it, when there is a family unit, but the father is absent or the father is overbearing, when he goes too far on either extreme of absentee or overbearing or, or abusive, it will guarantee some, some issue that will have to either be overcome or in most cases surrendered to and the cause of so many of, of the most destructive aspects of our society. And so if dads were more present and loving and found that important balance that Jesus, the man I make my show about, had between masculinity and gentleness, between the importance of leadership and servanthood, strength and meekness, all in one. When you can crack that code and find that middle ground, you can change the world. And when you don't, you can destroy the world. And I believe that that is absolutely what is happening more than ever 
uh, in our society. And it's, and it's devastating that not only is it happening, but it's being ignored as the primary cause. If anything, it's being aggressively ignored as the primary cause and the opposite is taking place. And it's, it's probably the thing that is the most saddening part of, uh, of life right now is how fast we are moving away from the important role of men taking on the responsibility that they're supposed to be uh, taking on. Yeah, very well said, Dallas. Yeah, I make I almost talk about it in every episode of the show here because I, I believe, like you, that it's the number one social issue we're facing. We're trying to solve all these other social issues, but unless we get to the core of this, we're just going to be running around in circles. And I do always make sure to make that stipulation too. It takes nothing away from single moms that are out there that are well, working heroes. miracles. Uh, right, I, I agree, and and I always make it. I put it in this way: like not all kids that grow up without a father uh, are going to become pregnant as teenagers, but seventy three percent of teenage girls who are pregnant come from fatherless households, and those statistics always hold true, whether that's homelessness, suicide, drug use, uh, on and on. So uh, I'm sure you know all the statistics as well. Uh, so, so I love to hear your point on that. And one of the things, too, I, I feel if we can get families back to the dinner table, like I, I make it a point. I have four kids myself. We sit down every night together, six o'clock religiously. We pray together. We eat together. And I think that's just, that's just that one piece of the day is so important. I wish we could get more families back around the dinner table once again. Well, that's an important point because a lot of fathers and I, I hinted at this when, we were, when I was just talking about it earlier is they're married, they're present and they think that's enough. Oh, and and so they're they're chasing, they're traveling a lot. They're chasing their careers, um, and and they justify it by saying, "Well, uh, eventually, you know, I'm providing for my family. Eventually, once I get past this busy season, I will be more present. But my kids, you know, real what they really need is for me to be able to provide, and that can be just as much of a trap. We can get into this trap of believing that just because we're providing financially and giving a roof over the heads that that's enough. And my dad used to speak about this all the time. My dad's written books on this issue of the myth of quality time over quantity time. We think, well, I'm not there all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I travel a lot, but when I am there, it's quality. And quality is good, but quantity is even more important. And like you just said, that's a great point. Just simply making a discipline of being at the dinner table. And treating that just as importantly as any of the other things on your calendar. You know, when I have a meeting with someone, so every now and then we'll schedule a meeting and the other person will say, I can't make it because I have a doctor's appointment or because I have a wedding I have to attend to or whatever it is. And I never think, well, how dare you? You need to prioritize my meeting. Well, if we started to treat dinner table with the family or extra time being there for our kids' ball games or whatever it is, as importantly as we do some of these other things we put on our calendar, that is a massive, massive difference maker and will keep you from having one of the biggest regrets that successful people often have is, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. We have to make sure that we're keeping each other accountable so that that's not a regret that we have. Right on with that. Yeah, we never hear anybody towards the end of life saying, I, I feel like I spent too much time with my family. You know, that's never seems to be the regret. So and then bringing back the other aspect of this one being the fatherless and the nuclear family going down, the other one being God being removed from so much of our society. And this is why I mean, there is so much junk that it, we have access to today and we're overwhelmed with it on Netflix and Hulu and all this other stuff. There's so much garbage. There's not many things you could sit down and actually binge watch or watch together as a family, uh, which is why I love what you've done here with The Chosen. I do know that, that it can be very, uh, especially for uh, a lot of Christians, it could very be very quick to point out um, errors maybe in the storylines and stuff like that. So I'm kind of curious, what has been the feedback that you get uh, from the Christian community that watches it, but also what's the feedback you've gotten from the secular uh, community about the actual production and the feedback you get from the show? 
Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I would say that 90 plus percent, probably even higher, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. People telling us their lives have been changed uh, in every country in the world. Uh, they're reading their Bible more than ever. They're spending time with their family more than ever. And like you said, it's something that they can watch with their kids, which ironically enough is not something I expected. I didn't expect that children would like the show as much because it's a complicated show. It's not just like you know, Sunday school lessons, like what you grew up with. And um, so seeing that happen has been extraordinary, extraordinary to watch. Now, that said, there is, of course, always going to be criticism. I would say the majority of the criticism that we've gotten has been from the Christian community, uh, people who don't like the fact that I'm working with, you know, in the hundreds of people that I'm working with on the show, some of them are Catholic or some of them are LDS, or you get the Catholics who are upset that I'm an evangelical or people that are agnostic or atheists who are working on the show. Uh, they get bothered because out of the 16 episodes we've done so far, they've loved most of them, but then there will be a 20 seconds of it that that doesn't jive with what they think they would have done if they made a Jesus show. And uh, and so they feel they, they, they love trying to solve centuries of debate with one YouTube comment. You've experienced this, no doubt, I'm sure as well. And you just got to get to the place where you just don't care. And that's where the place that I've gotten to is um, I'm open to criticism from my wife, from my friends, from my pastor, from my accountability partners, but I'm not making decisions for a show and for my career based on avoiding or seeking negative or positive YouTube comments. And so uh, when, when we talk about the criticism, I'm like, oh, it's, it's, it's fine to talk about, but honestly, when I'm, when I'm writing a show, it's so hard to make a good show, and it's doubly hard to make a good show that honors Jesus in the Gospels. I cannot add to that the weight of trying to please or, or, or avoid displeasing anybody other than God. And so the, the, we actually have fun with the criticism for the most part. It's just like we, we, we want to try to give people an example of how to respond to that, because so many times I think, and I think you'll agree with this, you strike me as someone from the podcast episodes I've listened to as a pretty tough guy. I think we have more of a sensitivity problem in our culture than we do a negativity problem. We're always complaining about people who are negative or mean or bullying or whatever it is. And I go, could you, what? and bullying of course is wrong, but could you imagine if all of us just decided all at once to not be offended by things, to not take offense where it doesn't belong to us, to actually find our worth in God or our worth in our families, as opposed to finding our worth and whether or not we're getting criticized by people we don't even know. That would change society because we'd go, we find our strength in something else. And so when someone makes a negative comment, instead of being wounded about it and trying to cancel that person, or even just on a personal level, shutting them down or being wounded or being depressed about it, or trying to just trying to please people or, or apologizing for things we didn't even do wrong, just because we're so sad that we got criticized. I think the negativity would eventually go away because it wouldn't have any power. And that's what I hope we try to model with uh, how we handle criticism with the chosen. Yeah, and you're right. I, I see it, too. And it's one of the downfalls or pitfalls of the social media uh, being out there. It's important in order to to promote or get, have people get access to your content. But on the flip side of that, people do take it as a, a way for them to voice this opinion and really just uh, just throw mud at so many people on there. But I, I love what you're doing. You're, you're leading so many people, I think, to Christ as well in what you're doing. And I think maybe I, I would liken it to uh, the playing the part of Andrew in a sense. We only the three times in the Bible we see Andrew. He's always leading people to Christ, uh, whether that be the Greeks or whether that be the, the guy with the loaves uh, of fish. He's always bringing people to Christ. I see that as your role here. You're bringing people to Christ with what you're doing. And I'm Catholic, and I got to tell you this: the pastor of my church, Father Jeff, is a big advocate of your show. He talks about it in many of his homilies. 
Uh, it's always in the bulletin, uh, always encouraging the parishioners to watch the show. I told him I was interviewing you today. He was really elated. He had a couple of questions about the show. I'm going to hit you with it here. Uh, his first one was, how do you keep such an amazing cast under contract and available uh, for season three and beyond? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, when we do our contracts and when we did the contracts for season two, um, we the contracts were for multiple seasons. And uh, obviously I can't get into details, but it was a, we recognize that you're making a commitment uh, to us and we're making a commitment to you. So let's do something that's mutually beneficial. And like with sports contracts, I mean, you, you talk to athletes all the time. Uh, we need, we need to commit to each other and uh, we can't have it so that in, you know, four seasons from now, uh, you're going to you're going to get tired of it and you're going to just move on to something else. By the same token, we need to say, look, if we're going to ask you to make that commitment in your career, we want to be be generous and, and reward you, because if we get that far, which I, it looks like we're going to, um, you deserve to be be treated well. So we baked into our contract um, provisions that would make sure that the success of the show, that they were tied to the success of the show, the better the show does, the better they do. And uh, so, yeah, we we it's an important very important for our cast to be taken care of, especially when we're a free show. Cause I don't, you know, we haven't talked about this yet, but the show is totally free. We rely on people deciding if they want to pay for it. And so we don't have a big hundred million dollar check from a big studio. So we just want to make sure that our cast is taken care of, that they can provide for their families uh, or for themselves by doing this and committing to this show a long time. So we've, we've done that. And uh, we take, we take our cast very seriously and love them. And what we recognize that when people watch the show, the portrayals, are, are, are so much a huge part of why they love these characters so much. Yeah, I would imagine a difficult balancing out. But yeah, and the fact that you crowdfunded this thing and made it the biggest crowdfunding, what, what a success. So that's a big part of the story I did leave out. Uh, but second question from Father Jeff is, do you plan to go beyond the Pentecost and capture the work of the first Christian community? Yeah. <laughs> well, when, when The Chosen is over, the, the seven seasons we're doing, which we'll cover uh, into the resurrection and some of the aftermath, I'm going to take a nap for about a year. And then we will consider whether or not we're going to go into the book of Acts. And what's funny is that's where right now when we're doing the chosen Catholics and LDS folks and evangelicals like myself, there's so much we agree on because we're just focused on the Gospels. Well, then we get into the early church and and all the things that happened after Jesus was here. And uh, that's where, of course, we'll have even more to debate and discuss. But uh, if, if, if God wants me to be telling Bible stories the rest of my life, I could be doing a lot worse. So I will, I will happily do what the Lord leads me to. Uh, but right now, I just want to be focused on uh, season three and, and, and the future seasons of The Chosen. If I get that right, then we'll see about the book of Acts. Yeah, I like your style. All right, let me bring it back into you as a father here for a second here. What type of disciplinarian are you, Dallas, as a father? And is that different than the discipline style that you grew up with? Uh, it's similar to the discipline style I grew up with. I would say um, we model calm assertive, uh, meaning that uh, we're, we're a very strong disciplinary household. Um, you know, we, we believe in uh, firm punishments for, for disobedience. But uh, on the, by the same token, I believe that anytime you're yelling or anytime you're hitting, I mean, we believe in spankings, but there's a difference between, I believe, between spankings and hitting. When you're doing something, as uh, my, my dad taught me this when he was growing up, he, he said, we never spank out of anger. Um, so there was never moments in my household growing up and never been moments in my parenting where we got angry at our kids. And as a result, you know, did a kind of a spontaneous, you know, smack or something, you know, or, 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 or yelled. I've, I've raised my voice at times when I shouldn't have, and I've apologized for that, but uh, we believe that the, the, the strongest household and the strongest parenting comes from a calm. And when you see a mom or a dad who can just with a look or with a, with, with a, with a gentle raise of the hand, 
um, not, not to strike, but just to kind of like, you know, quiet down when you see that and the kids instantly are, are falling in line, um, that more often than not reflects a calm, but assertive household. And when you see a mom or a dad in public yelling or raising their hands, trying to get their kids attention like that, um, that's usually a lack of control. So uh, I believe that children respond best to and are raised best in a, in, in a, in, in, a, in, a, in an environment where they're encouraged to explore, where they're encouraged to question. I never discu- dissuade my kids from questioning. I love the word, the question, why? I don't want my kids to just fall in line and go, yes, whatever you say, sir. I want them to ask. They just need to do it respectfully. And ultimately, be, obedience is the, is the number one priority. And I believe that's actually loving and prepares them for the world that's not out there to coddle them. Uh, and so I don't like to see my kids get into their first job or get into the world and then be wondering why or they're not being coddled and have no idea how to respond. Yeah, we're definitely seeing an issue with that as uh, the every kid gets a trophy philosophy has been a colossal failure in this country. But I think what's interesting, uh, Dallas, with the discipline aspect, I've interviewed so many dads here. And whenever I ask them the discipline question, so many of them say, oh, it's drastically different than uh, I grew up. I grew up with spankings and the switch and a belt and, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And I don't dare do that to my kids. And I think a lot of dads will be afraid to admit that they spank their kids because they don't want that backlash of what that seems to be perceived. And I think you're right. There's obviously a big difference between spanking a child and beating a child. And well, I think yeah, so many- and it's, yeah, sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But yeah, there's there's extremes. And I think what we do as a society in lots of different areas, but discipline is one of them is we overcorrect. And so we say, and I think this is true of, of parents who, who, who are strong disciplinarians too. Sometimes we say, all right, these kids are being too coddled. I'm going to rule with an iron fist or my dad, you know, hit me with a belt. So I'm never going to spank. And I'm like, there, well, there is a middle ground here, guys. I mean, there is, there is some nuance. And um, my, my parents, I believe 98% of the time found that beautiful nuance. And I, 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 both my wife and I are honored to follow in our, in my parents' footsteps. But anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, didn't mean to cut no, you no, off. No, I, I agree. And it's a good point. And I think it goes back to that. One of the problems with not having a father in the home is that discipline portion of it is because, you know, I was a kid who grew up waiting till your father gets home. And that was enough. Like if I threw a brick through a window, I would rather the cops get me than my father get me, you know? So if you don't have that, I think that leads to a lot of what we're seeing in society as well. Yeah. Well, and it's the recognition of the role of fathers and mothers and that there is a difference. And I want my kids, I I want the the aspects of my wife that I don't necessarily have. Some of the more nurturing instincts that she has are vital. I want that in the mix, but she also wants what I bring to the table. And a lot of times that's not necessarily just discipline, but that's oftentimes um, like you you ever see it where, where you'll see this a lot where a kid is walking out in public and the dad and mom are there and the kid trips and falls. Or the kid is, is struggling to get somewhere and you see the mom instantly go to reach for him and help him. And the dad's going, no, 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 let him figure it out or let her figure it out. And both are important. I want my wife's instincts to be to, to, to nurture because sometimes that's important. But she recognizes the importance of sometimes you, I, going, look, our kid doesn't want to jump off the high dive right now, but they need to. And we're going to wait here and we're going to let them do it. And we're going to walk them through it and talk them through it. Because if our kid spends the rest of their life giving in to fear or avoiding anything that's difficult, which is what sometimes moms want to protect their kids from is difficulty. When you find that balance of nurture and um, pushing a little bit, you know, and nudging a little bit and making sure that you're, you're raising kids who have the ability to overcome obstacles, it's a beautiful combination. And too much of one over too much of the other, uh, either side, whether it's too abusive or whether it's too too coddling can, can lead to a lot of 
major struggles. And so I think the key is to try to find that balance. Yeah, the balance is the key. And I, I have four kids like you do, and I, I, each one of them requires a different dish. So I have one kid you could spank them all day long. It ain't going to really make a difference. Another one you could threaten to spank, and it's enough to keep them in line. So uh, yeah, I, I always recommend, especially to parents, is, is the, the Five Love Languages, a book by Chapman. Yeah. And I, a lot of people recommend it for husband and wife, but it's also really good to do with your teenagers because it gives you that insight into how they give and, and, and receive love. So uh, I yeah. think it's important because they, they all do it differently. Yeah, that's a great point. And like, yeah, like I mentioned, my son, my, my oldest son, ironically enough, I think he probably got 10 spankings in the first 10 years of his life or eight years, whatever it was. My daughter had probably 300. And then my next daughter, uh, literally all you had to do was say no firmly and she would hang her head and like tears would come down her eyes. I don't think she got spanked once. She just didn't need it. So yeah, having that nuance, having the ability to know your kids well and know what's best for them is a vital, vital skill. And I think if dads spend as much time uh, working on that as they did reading management books, uh, I think we could we could really have a huge impact in, in the world. Well said. And how old did you say your oldest daughter was? My oldest daughter's 18. Okay, because my, my my youngest is my only girl. She's seven. So I got three boys and then the girl. So you you already have one in college there. I'm not looking forward to when they start hitting that dating scene, but you're right around there. So what kind of advice or how do you kind of handle it with the kids as they become old enough to start dating? Well, you know, the cliche is, you know, when the boyfriend shows up, you know, I'm going to open the door holding a shotgun, you know, or, or, you know, no, no guy's good enough for my daughter. And that's funny. And we make jokes like that all the time. But any dad will, will, I'm sure agree. Look, your daughter is going to get married someday. Okay, it's going to happen. And you want that, because, you know, obviously, you want your daughter to, to have children, you want your daughter to have a successful family. So I believe that the best approach is to go, I want my daughter to have a fantastic marriage. I want her to marry a great guy. I don't want to scare off any guy that wants to date my daughter. I want to get to know him. I want to encourage him. I want to show him what loving my daughter looks like. I want to show him what good parenting and good husbandry looks like. So, you know, look, if, if, if I meet some dude and he's got like a weak handshake and he won't look me in the eye and he's, he's clearly just, you know, not right. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, have a conversation. I'm going to be part of that, but I'm not going to do this whole business of like, no one's good enough for my daughter. And I hate any, you know, I hate even the thought of her dating. I'm so desperate for her to marry. Well, I so desperately want to avoid that moment where she comes to our house and says, you know, he left or we, we, we can't get along or whatever it is that I, I want to pour into whatever guy that my daughter wants to date, because I want to make sure that they are in a healthy marriage, like my wife and I are, and like our parents were. So I'm, I'm, I'm very much a believer in engaging in that process as opposed to trying to avoid it. Yeah. I love that Dallas. And I've had uh, quite a few dads on here who have made that mistake uh, w- with their first daughter and then made the correction with their second one, where they went to that hardcore scare all the guys off and didn't, they didn't get the results that they were, they were hoping for. So I love what you say there. W- w- obviously, you know, working on the chosen here takes uh, top priority. You have any other projects or anything else that you're working on on the side? Uh, when can we expect to see season three? What's next for you here in the future? Yeah. So right now the chosen is all consuming. Um, you know, we got this Christmas special that's out, uh, in, in December and, um, and then I'm, you know, I'm finishing up the writing of season three, season three, we start filming in early 2022. Uh, that's my primary thing, but yes, I'm now, uh, in development on a few other projects that are pretty significant, including starting to have talks about, uh, doing a left behind show, uh, based on my dad's books. Cause I, before my dad dies, I want to give him a good left behind project. Uh, so we got a lot, a lot of things in the, a lot of irons in the fire, but, more than anything else, I, I have a great responsibility with, with The Chosen. I don't want anything to distract that. So uh, that's the primary focus. 
Awesome. All right. Last thing I want to hit you with here, Dallas. I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast. What type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening? Well, I think the the same phrase that applies to life in general, um, I think applies to, to parenting that is so great. And it's the phrase die to self. Um, our instincts are flawed. And when you die to yourself and you find your worth in Christ, that's going to make you obedient and surrendered and humbled. And that's going to cause you to seek out help. And so no one is prepared for, for parenting because no parent has ever done this before when they have their first kid. So you need to seek out the wisdom of parents of kids that you see that seem to be uh, at least as much as you can tell um, whole, you know, I, and that's a weird word, but when you see, when, when I, when my wife and I first had kids and we saw other kids who seemed to be so joyful and seemed to be uh, their self-esteem seemed to be strong, but yet they were also humble and respectful. We would talk to those parents. What did you do? How'd you do it? We read books on the topic from people we respected. Seek out as much information as you can and don't overcorrect the mistakes your parents made and don't uh, avoid copying the success of the parents that you see around you. And so when you really do um, consider it to be the number one priority in your life is stewarding these children that God has given to you and taking it as seriously as your career. Uh, well, taking it more seriously than your career, uh, you, have a, you have a shot, but it's not going to be easy and you are going to make mistakes. So die to yourself and recognize that you are not perfect, and, uh, that you're, but, but, but you can, as much as possible, surrender to this process and, uh, and pour into your children. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. It's been a lot of fun for me. I got to say, Dallas Jenkins, you're a first-class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Thanks so much. It was an honor. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Dallas Jenkins for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love reading your feedback. I really appreciate Dallas taking the time today. If you have not yet seen The Chosen Christmas special or the series, I highly recommend you go and check them out. We definitely could use uh, more material that we can sit down and view together as a family, which you can do with this series. You can stream it for free, watch it with your family together. Uh, It's wonderfully done, brilliantly done. So props to Dallas on the important work that he's doing. I'll be back with you guys on Wednesday with Backstreet Boy Nick Carter. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers. Tall as a tree, I saw feeling so.